uh, Skullboys. The Street Press Podcast with Sean Fraser. For a start, there are not enough white men doing podcasts. I've got to always support that when that comes along. I was talking to a mate today at a baby queue. We didn't cook a baby. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that yeah. was. I just want to thank you. Yeah, no, it was me. He wouldn't shake our hand until he finished putting on his glove. Imagine what he's like during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got you here for the podcast after your big night last oh. night, so I'm stoked with that. I get a thrill knowing that you're doing what you're doing. That's good. Well, I don't know what I'm doing today. We're just sort of just winging it. Did you moon Kylie Minogue? Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Street Press Podcast. My name is Sean Fraser. It is episode 63. I hope you're doing really well. Don't forget the Street Press Podcast, what it's all about. It's about the music industry, people who work in the industry. They could be artists. They could be people working front of stage. They could be band managers like today's episode. Michael Parisi, we're going to have him on soon. He is a band manager. He Who hasn't he managed, really? I mean, it goes from the list goes from Kylie Minogue to 28 Days to Green Day. Regurgitator, Super Jesus, the list goes on. We're going to have him on really, really soon. Uh, I am recording this episode of the podcast the day before, though. Um, It is Halloween. So if I get disrupted midway through talking, it's because there are kids at my door asking for lollies. So, yeah, hopefully it doesn't happen while I'm mid-podcast, but... That is what is happening. Hopefully you've had a great Halloween. I know in Australia they used to say back in the day, oh, we don't really, you know, celebrate that or do that, but uh, I don't mind it. I hope your weekend was well. I was very lucky. Well, on Friday night I went and saw a Beatle, Sir Paul McCartney in action. It's the second time I've seen him in action. Look, paid my way, paid for my tickets, 200 bucks, well worth the money too. We were sitting there, uh, the rain kept away, which was fantastic, but we just sat there in that new Allianz Stadium in Sydney and watched him. 81 years of age. He played for three hours. <laughs> How is it possible? Only someone like Sir Paul could do that, and uh, it was an incredible night, and uh, he played all the Beatles songs. He played, well, not all the Beatles songs. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds, but he played, the, you know, a fair f- chunk of them. He played a bunch of wing songs and some of his own solo material as well, and uh, it was great, great to see him. I hope I get to see him again, but yes, that is how I spent my weekends. All right, today's episode, Michael Parisi, as I said at the top of this, He is a band manager. He's had his own record label. He's been in the industry for close to 40 years. Got him on the podcast. I wanted to pick his brain about everything. Uh, We start off talking about how he sort of fell into becoming a band manager. It's actually quite a funny story. He was was going to be a criminal psychologist. Talk about being on the other end of the uh, spectrum. (laughs) And uh, he decided, no, band managing is for me. He started out... Writing for a street press magazine, how fitting that he's jumped on this podcast. That's where I started my career as well. We have a chat about the Teskey Brothers. You heard of them? I hope you have. Uh, They are one of the best soul blues bands at the moment, and they're Australian, proudly Australian. We have a chat about them. We talk about the time he signed Regurgitator, so he is, you know, instrumental in their success, I suppose. He saw them, he heard them, he liked them. So he signed them. He did the same with the Super Jesus, the Whitlam's, Taxi Ride. Then he went on to start his own label. And this is one of the big things that he did in his career. He was the first person to sign Muse. He heard a little bit of them. He definitely heard what other people weren't hearing at the time. And he decided to get them to sign on the dotted line and look at them now. Doing pretty well. Uh, If you are an old school rock and roller and you have been wondering for years and years, do bands still wreck hotel rooms? 
the answer is in this interview and uh, might have some kind of relation to the band 28 Days, who are great. Uh, <laughs> we talk about also his very close relationship with the late Michael Gadinsky, who was a friend and mentor of him. Um, and obviously Gadinsky passed away just a couple of years ago and uh, it was a shock for the industry. You know, Gadinsky is the reason for a lot of big acts and he was so passionate about Australian music and making sure that Australian music succeeded. Yes, he did well with international acts, but he did love Australian artists. Bracey talks about his uh, his good friendship with Kadinsky. And we also talk about, haven't tried this one, tiramisu and sambuca. Is it any good? Is there someone out there <laughs> who enjoys it? Because uh, back in the day, Bracey didn't mind it. And I feel like I'm missing out on something. So we have a chat about that too. All right, let's get him on. He's one of the legends of the industry, behind the scenes. He used to put out the fires when the bands would start them. Here's my interview with Michael Parisi, the band manager, label extraordinaire. Michael, how are you going? Good, buddy. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. What's happening? Oh, you know, just another day in this business. Busy day. Yeah, pretty busy day. I've got um, I've got so much going on at the moment. I've got Vera Blue just had number one in the US on the dance radio billboard chart. Yeah, right. And everyone's gone fucking mental. I'm getting calls from agents and other artists who want to you know work with her, and <laughs> it's amazing what a bit of success can do. It just that's a good place uh, to be, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's doing really well, and um, I'm about to launch a brand new act called Three Percent, who are made up of uh, three Indigenous um, rappers. He's a kind of man about town in the, in the Indigenous community and he's got his own show on Triple J. He's got his own marketing company. We're about to launch his new project, which is really exciting. Yeah, nice. I've got yeah, got all kinds of things going on, plus the podcast. You know. <laughs> yeah, I had to listen to the podcast. Hey, uh, listen to the Gadinsky uh, episode. Man, that was great. i tell you what, you guys obviously know each other pretty well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've known Matt since he was like 15, running around, you know, the mushroom office when I was working there. And I see him as a kid still. Even yeah. though he's the CEO of Mushroom, I kind of go, I call him the kid. And he, goes, <laughs> he had to remind me like a few times when, when we um, did the interview. He goes, I'm not a kid anymore, dude. I go, I know, I know. You know, but I just can't help it and go, he's a good kid. He seems like he's doing a good job. And I really liked in that podcast, he spoke about the Teske brothers. Yeah. And, and he said, uh, what, in the next five, 10 years, he reckons they'll be, you know, one of the biggest bands in the world. And I thought, oh, that's a big call. And I, but I've seen the Teske brothers a few times and I've thought, I've watched them and gone, this is incredible act. They're on the way, aren't they? Um, you know, they're, they're one of those acts that can, um, everyone loves, a, you know, a good soul blues band, right? But they kind of transcend, you know, genres and they kind of, um, they're quite broad in their appeal. If anyone and everyone can like them. You know, anyone who appreciates good music will like that band. Yeah, I saw them with uh, Crowded House and then I saw them on their own a couple of years ago. One of those moments where you're just so glad that they are Australian, you know, and so proud when you watch them, you know. Yeah, they're a class act. They're a really good, really good band. Yeah, awesome. Well, look, we've just had a little bit of a chat. You've got a busy day uh, today, Michael. Let's start with, look, I know that the story goes you've, you've worked with Kylie Minogue. You've worked with Green Day, you've worked with Muse, you've done all these things, you've had a record label, but where does it start? And you don't have to say how many years ago it was. Oh, God. Um, 
It started, I was a criminal psychology student at La Trobe University and I wanted to be involved in forensic, right? I wanted to be involved in in, in cracking cases. That was my, since I was a kid, I loved crime and I loved crime novels and all all that kind of stuff. Anyway, cut a long story short, I was also a big music fan and, and while I was at La Trobe studying, I also used to contribute to the student newspaper. You know, I would write reviews and um, of records, live shows and stuff. And then by accident, I, I ended up working for a company called Impress Magazine, which was one of the first, very first street papers in Australia and, and in Melbourne, for that matter. And I started writing reviews. Again, what I was doing at, at the student newspaper at La Trobe, started writing reviews and made a wealth of contacts, you know, record label contacts, you know, live agent contacts. Anyway, I ended up getting a job at Warner's as a promo guy. Um, and I'd, I'd been at Impress the magazine for about two years and it was a pretty full, it was a pretty crazy full-time job. It was 24, seven, seven days a week. Cause we we're starting it. We we're starting it from scratch. Mm. Um, anyway, cut a long story short, I ended up going to Warner's where I started off in promotions and I ended up, you know, uh, doing work with doing promo work for bands like Red Hot Chili Peppers and REM and you know, B-52s back in those days. And then from there, from doing promo, I moved into what's called ANR, which is the um, stands for Artist and Repertoire, which means signing signing artists for the label. So, yeah, I worked right through the nineties at Warner's doing ANR, and I signed bands like Regurgitator, the Super Jesus, the Whitlam's, um, Taxi Ride, and all those records were incredibly successful. Yeah, big know. Aussie acts. Yeah, big Aussie acts, and all end up you know selling a lot of records, you know, winning a lot of awards. And then when that kind of like when that I felt it was coming to an end because I kind of like felt that I I outgrown my stay at a major, I started my own label called Sputnik, um, <clears throat> and I was fortunate enough to um, have Mushroom at the time become my partner and distributor in the label. And the first thing I signed was this unknown English act called Muse, <laughs> who had no who had no home in in Australia. And at that point, wow. in fact. Didn't, didn't have a major deal anywhere in the world. So I took a chance. I got their demo from a UK lawyer who started the same day as me at Mushroom in Australia. He, he came out, to, he followed some girl out to Australia, ended up at Mushroom. We started the same day. He said, he gave me the, um, the demo CD. I heard it and fell in love with it and signed it and then convinced Mushroom UK to sign it for the world. And in, in the end, they did. Incredible. And you look at that band now and you think about that, how instrumental what you did then. What were they hearing from other people at the time? Why weren't they signed? So I remember ringing Corda Marshall, who was the head of Mushroom UK, who was my my equivalent. Because at that time I was working for Mushroom and I ended up, ended up becoming the MD. So he was my equivalent um, in the UK. And I rang him and I said, Corda, why? They're on your doorstep. Why didn't you sign this band, you know, Muse? And he goes, oh, they sound like Radiohead with loud guitars, and I said, I remember saying to him, "What's the what's the goddamn problem? Mm. You know, let's give give it a crack. It's working. It worked for him in the end because he used, or they, the, even the band, used Australia as a bit of a test case. So you know, Triple J adopted them so quickly and turned them into a hit, essentially. So we were like the the test case for 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 the UK. So Corder, you know, ended up signing and based on the success that we were having. And then it took off. It took off everywhere. 
one gig I do remember when I when we first brought them out to Australia to do promo and do some live shows, mm. they supported one of my other bands, Motor Race. Oh yeah. At a, at a small venue called the Evelyn Hotel in Fitzroy, which holds 350 people. So their first ever show was as a support act to Motor Race in a pub that, that holds that held 350 people. And then the next thing you know, they're doing, you know, they're doing arena shows and, and then they were doing the big day out. And then they were doing the Rod Laver Arena. It was yeah. just it just it snowballed, it snowballed beautifully, but it didn't snowball you know, by accident. It was a lot of hard work on the on their behalf. They they toured their asses off those boys and they made good records. In you know, their records, they you know, their first three records are still one of my first three favorite records of all time from a from a debut act, you know, like that first record was incredible. It's you know, you know Origin of Symmetry was incredible and and Absolution was incredible. All all great records. What is it about an act? What is it that makes you go, oh yeah, I want to work with this band? Is there something about them or is it purely just listening to a song and going, that's bloody good? It, no, it's a combination of things really. Obviously the song and the music is key. At the very core of any signing you know, you, you hear it and the hair in the back of your neck stands up and you go, what was that? Mm. And then once you meet the band and you get to understand them and get to know them a bit more, you know, you you develop a relationship, you know, because you don't want to work with assholes, right? You want to work with people that you think you can work with who have a clear vision for themselves and who make great music, you know. They're the kind of three real ingredients, I think. Being a band manager sounds cool, right? But it must be a tough gig. Yeah, I mean, I was saying to someone in another interview the other day that, you know, the public only see the tip of the iceberg, right? They don't see the nine-tenths underneath it (laughs) and where all that hard work is done. And every day is, you know, a fresh adventure when it comes to management because your your role is to guide the artist's career. And, you know, there are days, I've got to tell you, where it can be a thankless task, Mm. you know, and there are days that are completely rewarding. It's a lot of hard work. It's not for the faint-hearted, put it that way. You know, you need to have tenacity. You need to have a thick skin. You need to know, understand the word no and how to get around it a lot. You need patience. Yeah. Equal measures of patience and tenacity is what you need, you know. And, again, it's 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 a job that you really can't teach. You either have it in you or you don't have it in you. Crisis management, right? Uh, I got taught this in communications doing the degree. Um, You know, sometimes you need someone to, you know, the band might do something they shouldn't have done or, um, you know, there's something you've got to to front for. Have there there been moments um, over the years where you've gone, fuck, why did you do that? Too many to count, right? (laughs) Like too many. I mean, it could be something simple like I I worked with an act years ago called 28 Days or punk pop rock act who would who would you know take it upon themselves to smash their hotel rooms after every tour and so you know i would get phone calls in the middle of the night you know from from hotels going we've clamped your band's car with you know because i had in those days a lot of the um the travel lodges and a lot of the sort of regional towns hotels had clamps for for artists who couldn't pay their bills so they would lock their cars up so the amount of phone calls i got from you know, little hotels in the middle of nowhere saying we're not letting your band go until they pay the uh, $4,500 of furniture that they smashed last night. And are you putting that on your card or are you uh, pull, they, pulling the boys? They're, 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 they're trying to put it on my card and I'm yeah. saying no. You know, it's up to <laughs> like, having, having to call them at 2 a.m. in the morning going, what the hell are you guys doing, you know? There's, there's menial bullshit, rock and roll shit like that. 
Mm. Um, and then there's sometimes when an artist says may make a, a silly statement to the press where you go, oh, you shouldn't have said anything. You know, that, that happens a lot where they put, I call it, you know, foot in mouth disease. And a lot, a lot of artists tend to tend to suffer from that disease, you know, at some <laughs> point in their career where they just say something they regret the next day, you know. Um, but, you know, like we crisis management is a good name for a management company in general, dude, I think, in the music is in the industry. Can I, can I pinch that? Yeah, go for it. Because that's what we do all day. It's a great name because it, it kind of really aptly sums up what we do on a day-to-day yeah. basis. <laughs> I, I'm, I, look, I'm, I'm sorry for you that you have to deal with uh, people smashing up the hotel rooms, but there's a part of me that's like, oh, they still do that? Like bands, bands still smash? Not to, not to the sort of extent that they would, say, 20 years ago because we, are, we live in a very PC world and everyone's, everyone's going to be beige and safe. I'm not condoning um, smashing up hotel rooms, by the way, but I think a lot of artists, you know, take their jobs a lot more seriously than, than they than they could have and would have all those years ago. But you know, in in summary, you know, I, I say one thing about management: the best way to sum it up with artists, and not every artist, but in general, most artists is is when it comes to management, you're the last to be thanked if something works, but the first to be blamed if oh, something yeah. doesn't work. It was uh, it was earth shattering news to hear about Gadinsky, and yeah. uh, and you were very very close with him. What did you learn from him? Um, yeah, I was very yeah yes. Just to just to preface what I'm about to say, I was very fortunate to have Michael as a mentor because when I joined Mushroom, he had just sold it, mm. um, and he was he was still very fond of the name the mushroom name because he always wanted, he always had this vision or this dream of getting it back off the Murdochs <clears throat> once they decided to sell, which he did, which he did, by the way. But Michael, you know, Michael had great pride in the name and by extension, because I became the MD, he took, you know, he took me under his wing and he wanted to, he wanted to make sure that I was doing the right things. I wasn't um, compromising the name in any way because, you know, he knew he was going to get it back eventually but the one thing he, he he did teach me it's very simple, and he was very, and that's why Michael was successful. He had this. He used to say to me, "Hey, mate, it's a yes till someone says no." Right. So whenever it's, every time I'd see him, he'd, he'd just yell out, "Yes!" You know, <laughs> I could be in a room at a gig, and I'd see him in the in the distance, and all I'd hear is "Yes!" You know, <laughs> we could be at the football together, and out of the blue, he'll just go "Yes," and. and it's a very, it's a very simple adage, you know. It's a yes till someone says no, which means, you know, you you forge ahead, you know, you make things happen uh, until someone says you can't. And and I think that's what he taught me. And I think I can see that also coming out in Matt. You know, like, yeah, you know, if you're going to go after something, go after it wholeheartedly and and make it happen. You know, and he was he was tenacious. He was he was hardworking, and he didn't take no for an answer. An opportunity sort of they won't keep arising if you just keep saying no to everything. That's right. That's right. And and I think, you know, the other thing that, that Michael taught me was, you know, to be, you know, to be not a follower, he said. Mm. Don't, don't follow. Just because everyone's signing a rock band right now, like I remember when when Jet were the, were, were the craze, they blew up and all of a sudden every major was looking for their version of Jet, you know, and Michael would say there's no point signing a rock band right now because we've, we've got the biggest one with Jet. Why, yeah. why would you sign one that remotely sounds like Jet you're trying to pass off as, you know? But th- that's what happens. It has happened through through history. When, whenever a trend starts, 
you saw it with Nirvana and the, the Seattle scene. As soon as Nirvana exploded, every label was in Seattle trying to find the next one. And that's what he taught me as well. I guess just don't follow, don't follow. Be a leader. Find acts that are against trend. You know, and all through my career, I, I signed acts that that I didn't particularly care if they weren't the flavor of the day. I got chastised for signing Regurgitated by my boss at the time because he said, who's going to buy a band that's got a, a Chinese drummer and a Vietnamese singer, you know? Right, yeah. And, and I was chastised for signing a band called Machine Gun Fallacia because their name was like, <laughs> who's going to play it? And that, that band ended up having, you know, platinum records and number one hits, you know? Just a segue on that band. So I am married to the niece of uh, Widow Jones in Machine Gun. Oh, Malaysia. you're kidding. <laughs> How wild is that? <laughs> you're kidding. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. Sean. We've gone, we've, gone, we've gone full circle here. <laughs> is it crazy? But it's funny how in music you can always just find this sort of six degrees, isn't it? You'll always like. Oh, you always find six degrees of separation. Absolutely. Yeah. Particularly in Australia because, <laughs> we're, you know, we're a small we're a small industry. But, yeah, some, yeah, there's always some connection somewhere with, with you know. But, yeah, so that was Michael taught me that as well. Just don't follow the leader, you know. Um, there's no point signing, you know, a another version of the same thing. Mm. And so, and that stuck with me too. And the other person I was fortunate enough to have as a mentor was a guy called Seymour Stein, who had a label called Sire, who signed the Ramones, Talking Heads, you know, Madonna, The Cure, Depeche Mode. Wow. And he said the very same thing to me. He said, whatever you do, try and find something that that no one else is kind of sensing or seeing or hearing right now. You have one or two that you've signed that you've just, you know, you're just so fond of that you think of and you go, I'm really glad. That I did that. I'm sure Muse must be up there. I love. Look, you know what? Again, I've, I had this question leveled at me the other day, and and it's like that thing where you know you with your kids. Who's your favorite kid? Um, <laughs> you got to be politically correct here, right? Yeah. You, yeah. you don't want to. You don't want to put yourself out there and go, oh, they're my favorite band. But I, I can. I can safely say with my hand on my heart, every act I've worked with, maybe bar a couple who are dickheads in the end, have been great to work with. They're all great. When did you meet Kylie? Oh, Kylie, I met. Many, many years ago, um, you know, when she was still in Melbourne, she wouldn't remember this, but I met her at, at Mushroom, actually. But I, I started working with her um, around the time that she relaunched herself with Spinning Around. And, um, you know, she was... That was a, a huge hit, huge hit. Yeah, but she was at a crossroads. A lot of people don't, don't remember that she was at a crossroads when she put out Impossible Princess, which was her, for want of a better word, her, her indie record. Yeah. And no one quite knew how to take that record. So when Spinning Around came back, you know, came out, we just went, wow, this is like classic Kylie. And she had reinvented herself again. And for the next three records, which we were, I worked with her on um, from an Australian perspective, they just went from strength to strength, mm. you know. And she's a, another smart cookie who, again, even today, has reinvented herself one more time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Her latest ones. Dump a dumb, you know. And again, there's an artist who has a vision for herself. Like she knows exactly what she's doing. She knows the right people to work with at the right time. You know, she's she's a smart cookie. There you go. You've got a podcast out at the moment. It is quality. Uh, you've sort of really only kicked this thing off, the Vinyl Tap. Yeah, it's brand, it's brand new. It's called Vinyl Tap Inside the Music Industry. Yeah, latest episode you've got, you kick things off with Matt Kadinsky. You've got Jane Gazzo. I've got John Watson who managed, you know. who's a Oh, yeah, Silverchair. Silver started his career off managing Silverchair. He now works with, you know, Midnight Oil and the Presets and Barnsey. 
he's probably arguably probably the best manager in the country by a mile. Wow. One of the best, you know, ever, I think. And then I've got, you know, Millie Milgate from Sounds Australia, who's very influential in exporting Australian music to the world. Uh, Johan Panaya from IOU, the guy who signed, you know, DMAs and Ryland Soho and Confidence Band. It's a real cross-section of people. And then Series 2, I'm going to start talking to the artists that I respect and, and, and yeah, know. Nice. Um, you know, and from all different genres and for all different all different demographics to get their viewpoints on where the industry is right now and what their place is is in that industry, in the industry. It's going to be great. Do you like being a host? You seem very natural at it. You know what? I, I, I said in my, um, when I first launched it and I, uh, I put myself out on, on, on my socials, I said, look, I'm not professing to be Michael Parkinson. You know, I'm not that kind, you know, I'm, I haven't had, you know, 30 years or 40 years of, you know, interviewing experience, nor am yeah. I Graham Norton, you know. Well, what I take from it is it's very comfortable listening. I mean, you're not jumping over the top of them, they're not jumping over the top of you. It's just a very yeah. easy, free-flowing conversation. It's really, really nice to listen to. Um, today, I've, I've probably got to let you go soon because it's a big day, isn't it? You, you were talking before, number one, uh, Vera Blue, uh, things are looking good. Number one uh, dance track in in the US this week with um, a collaboration Unreal. with a, an artist called Elenium, who she also toured with in America um, over the last few months. So, so having an having an Australian act at number one on the dance chart, you know, in America is a big deal for us. You know, as as, as a manager, it's hard to do, isn't it? For it, it's really for artists. And ironically enough, the last Australian act to have a number one on the dance chart there, on the same chart that Vera's on, mm. was Kylie Minogue. Funnily enough. You know what I mean? We've got a circle. Hey, one last one. Uh, I saw that you were talking on, I think it was on your website, you had, uh, you know, your last meal or something. And then the, the dessert, for your last ever dessert, if you had to pick, it was tiramisu with uh, Sambuca. Am I missing something or should I try that? Is it good? Um, these days I don't do the Sambuca, but it would have been, it wouldn't have been just one Sambuca. It would have been tiramisu and a bottle of Sambuca. <laughs> but now that I don't drink, it's just two serves of tiramisu. But, dude, if, if you are... If you do like partaking, you know, in a bit of, uh, you know, after after dinner, you know, um, drinks, mm-hmm. a sambuca and tiramisu, unbelievable. Okay, like, I'm gonna have one to... of the best combinations, one of the best food and drink combinations you'll ever you'll ever have, and that's coming from an Italian. You know, I've done my fair share of both, trust me. Okay. All right, I'm going to go get some tiramisu. But thank you so yeah. much, Michael, for jumping on. Uh, yeah, the uh, podcast, The Vinyl Tap, it's out right now. You can find it on Spotify. Take it easy, Michael. Have a good one. Thanks for having me, Sean. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks, bud. Yes, there he is, Michael Parisi, the band manager and label extraordinaire. If you want to go and check out his podcast, it's called Vinyl Tap Inside the Music Industry. Let's have a look. Where's he up to? I think he's got uh, three, six, seven. He's up to seven episodes now. So, uh, you know, an interesting insight, especially uh, with his experience. Obviously, that episode we were talking about in that conversation, he first up interviewed Matt Kandinsky, the son of Michael, and it's a really good chat uh, to get you started. So go and check that out. All right, it's time for this. Yes, this is the part where you can write on into the show. Go to the streetpresspodcast.com forward slash letters and you can drop me a line. You can let me know where you're listening. First of all, I just want to say g'day to 
a bunch of American listeners that jumped on after last week's episode. I had a chat with Adam Lazara from Taking Back Sunday, which was a, uh, a great little chat with him. And uh, it looks like there's a couple of Americans uh, who have jumped on. So hello. G'day. Good to have you with us. Uh, this one is written in this week from Brenton. Now, there are three Brentons that listen to the Street Press podcast. It seems like I'm always talking about the same Brenton because all three Brentons have written in during the letters segment. And uh, this one is from, I will name the last name, Brenton Leggett. So he says... From an episode that was dropped a couple of weeks ago, he says, great episode. If you don't refer to yourself as Gay Green Day from now on, I'll be pissed. So he's talking about the Ritzy Kids, the band I'm in. And Kyle Sanderlands, of all people, was uh, on his show and uh, he stumbled upon us, the Ritzy Kids, and um, gave us an on-air review live on the radio and said he didn't mind it, which was great. Um, you know what? Why don't I just play it? Here you it got is. The whole band now? Yeah, it's a punk band. See, I don't think you'd punk. It. Let's hear it. This is Sean Fraser filling in for Brooklyn. <laughs> the Ritzy Kids. Oh. Yeah, it's punk. Like, Here is the burning. Yeah. Is that, w- w- are you singing or what are you doing? Yeah, singing. Okay, stand, let's have a listen. From the start, you tried your hardest, but it fell apart. Now. Oh, he's all right. like a gay green day or something. <laughs> yes, and I'm happy to fly the rainbow flag. No dramas with that whatsoever. Uh, and Brenton, thanks for writing in. Don't forget, if you want to write into the Street Press podcast, you can click in the show notes right now. There is a link in there. You just press on that. You can write into the show. Like I say each week, I like to know who's who's listening. I like to talk to people. So, uh, so if you've been sitting there for you know well over a year and you haven't written in or anything like that, why don't you just write in? Say good day. Um, don't be a stranger. If you like what I'm doing, don't forget, I've got $4 monthly memberships, so that's $1 a week. Uh, and if you become a member, you get a lot of great stuff. I've just got to double check what it is. <laughs> Hang on. Bear with me as I get the website up. Click join. That's right. Of course, you get your name in the drawer to win prizes. They get sent out via email. Uh, you get access to the members area. You can ask people questions, guests that we have on. You can say good day. There's a few other options on there as well where you can get a street press podcast mug. You can be sipping whiskey or coffee out of a mug. Um, so, yeah, if you want to join, it's a dollar a week. And if you don't want to join... That's cool too. Anyways, great to have you with us. Don't forget the Ritzy Kids, the band I'm in. We've got a show coming up. It's at the Everglades in Woi Woi. If you're a coastie, it'll be great to see you. Go to theritzykids.com. You can get tickets. We're going to be the first band on and then we're going to get drunk afterwards. So hopefully see you there. 
All right, that's enough for this episode. I hope to have your ears with me again next Wednesday. We're going to have someone else on from the music industry. Until then, take care of yourself. Ta-da. Ta-da.